Hi, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Uh, today is March 14th, 2019, um, and I've got a great uh, a person that we're talking to today who's um, really been around for a long period of time, and I shouldn't really say that because it's going to make him seem old because he's not an old guy. Um, his name is Stephen Baker. He's a longtime uh, senior technology analyst in the retail space uh, for MPD. He's been there a long period of time. I think you're going to enjoy today's call because we're really going to talk about the relationship between technology and consumer retail, which is, I think, a topic that doesn't get as much discussion as it should, uh, purely because of you know Amazon has been so incredibly uh, pervasive over the last 15 or 20 years that people forget that there's something called the retail channel, and it's um, and it's still, it still it has been success, uh, successful. It will continue to be successful, and a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, with Stephen and I'm, you know, I met Stephen back in the early '90s when I was first getting into the technology space with Epson as a, uh, a product manager, and we've stayed in touch for over the years. Which is, um, uh, uh, yeah, he's laughing because uh, many, many years actually. And uh, but uh, let me turn it over to Stephen. And Stephen, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about yourself? And you know, how did you get into the whole retail? space let's talk a little bit about that oh boy that's a <laughs> that's a long story um in college i actually was the um buyer manager for our college grocery store and at the time it was the biggest on-campus grocery store in in the country um so i discovered i kind of liked retail um did some did some management training and some things after that back in Boston. And then, you know, I read an ad in a, a newspaper that was looking for people uh, to help with the startup um, that ended up being Staples. Mm. So um, I was actually uh, one of the first employees at Staples. Um, I worked there before there were any stores. Uh, I was there for about almost 10 years. Um was a great experience, clearly, going from zero to a few hundred stores at that point. Uh, you know, very different world than it is today. You know, we went mm -hmm. public in 1989, and we had to wait until we were actually making money. And I know that's not oh, necessarily that's, the way that, things work Yeah, that's old, old, that's old hat. That you have to be yeah. profitable to go public. Wow. Yeah. So we went um, – but – you know, I was an early employee. It was a great uh, experience. I uh, worked in the stores for a while. Then I was uh, a buyer, and I was the manager of uh, pricing and sales and margin modeling and all those kind of things. And so I was there about 10 years. I left to uh, go to IDC, and I was actually at IDC for two or three years in the mid-'90s, uh, working in the channels group, which was a nice kind of segue out of uh, retail right around Windows 95, mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of understanding in the um, on the tech side about, you know, now that we were really going to have consumer products, how were you actually going to sell consumer products, and what did consumers want, and honestly, what did the channel want? How did you right. actually, how were you able to reach out to the different kinds of retailers and create programs and products and policies and packaging that mm -hmm. would actually sell in the stores. Right. And, you know, so I did that for a couple of years and then I moved to a, a company called PC Data that did point of sale research. So what we do and um, NPD bought PC Data in 2001 and what um, 
what point of sale is is just what it sounds. Uh, we work with most of the major uh, retailers and distributors, et cetera, in the U.S. and Canada, and we get uh, their all their sales at mm-hmm. the item level, and we create reporting uh, based on that so that we mm-hmm. can see every single week what is selling at the item level across in tech 200 some odd categories. So right. it's right. very detailed. It's interesting. It always uh, surprises you because there's always new things happening, but you really do get a very, um, sem- as real time as I think you can really get uh, in terms of look and see what's actually happening. So right. they've right. been doing the, being the analyst for point of sale for 20 something years now. So um, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, your background in many ways parallels my background in that, uh, you know, when I was a college intern um, during my years at uh, Boston College, and I was working for IBM as an intern, and during that period, IBM announced the IBM PC, and and not too many people remember this, but I know you'll remember this, is that IBM dabbled in retail in the early 80s with uh, with their um, retail stores with IBM product centers. Which right. were a pre, which were a precursor. They were selling typewriters, and <laughs> if pe- not too many people remember what a typewriter is, but they were in the t- they were very big in the typewriter business with other office uh, products. And then they, of course, you know, launched the IBM PC, the great success. And they had about a hundred of these retail stores across the country. And you know, looking back on it, what's kind of interesting is that um, IBM had no clue about how to you know run a retail store. You know, they, they were glamorous because they were in very high profile high you know, dollars per square foot type of stores all over the country. But in terms of managing it and having the right products at retail, in addition to you know, IBM branded uh, products, they really didn't understand retail. And it's, it's interesting because as you, know, you look at the retail space, you know, one of the things that um, you know, I was kind of fond of when I went over to Compact and I was one of the first members of the Presario marketing team that really introduced the notion of consumer technology, consumer branded approach to uh, PCs. What was really interesting about that is that I remember it was very tough making a buck back then in the in the early 90s because when you had product at retail, if you didn't sell the product right away and Intel would come out with a new microprocessor or Microsoft would come out with a new iteration of, of Windows, the older models would, would, would degrade in pricing very quickly. And I remember a general manager telling me at Compaq uh, he compared the PC business at that time, and it still is true, believe it, to a kind of a life cycle flavor of of, of selling fish. You know, the, the highest yeah. value of a fish is when it comes out of the ocean and you want to sell it right away. But after four or five days, you know, that, that, yeah. that particular fish is not really easy to sell. And, and what I think what's interesting about retail, and I think you'll reiterate this, is that you know, retail retailers are not just there to go out and merchandise and sell products and be a distribution arm. They really, have, and they've come a long way, but they really do understand technology marketing. They understand the merchandising impact on helping manufacturers sell uh, products, and you know, they're they're they have a tremendous hand in the uh, in the success of most of the leading consumer electronic brands that are out there today. Absolutely. You know, NPD doesn't just track uh, technology. We track uh, products in 10 or 20 other businesses like auto parts and Mm -hmm. apparel and shoes. And the one thing I'm always um, surprised by is that in other businesses, 
understanding of digital marketing and you know how to how to sell in is very different than it is in tech and i think one of the mm-hmm. advantages that tech retailers or retailers who have a significant amount of their business in tech because in general there really aren't a lot of retailers left who only uh sell technology um is that they're able to take the learnings in the marketing and that that real base understanding of how technology works mm-hmm. and apply it to their marketing, to their e-commerce strategies, et cetera. And when you look at other retailers who maybe don't have as many feet into the technology world as a uh, uh, Best Buy, for example, would, they struggle understanding the relationship between a store and e-commerce. And they, they really do struggle a lot more with trying to figure out how to go to market. So I think as we've seen in the last few years, this, you know, the growth in what we call blended retail, the retailers and e-commerce sites trying to work mm-hmm. together. We've really right. seen that both retailers like Best Buy, who sell a lot of tech, mm-hmm. are very good at understanding that. And I would add that the brands, the tech brands are also very good at that. Most tech brands sell direct and sell through channels and they have a real good sense of both understanding how do I sell to the consumer and how do I sell and partner with my channel and again in other businesses those that knowledge base is actually just starting to develop right well and, and you, you mentioned something that is, is interesting to me is that you know retailers if anything are really smart people and they learn very quickly they may Sometimes not get it at the beginning, but you know, once there's a, a, a merchandising trend that takes off, you know, they're they're all you know all in. And yep. you know, you met you mentioned something before about if you recall, you go back 10, 15, 20 years. You know, one of the, not the only, but one of the primary w- ways that a retailer would 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 advertise is they would put circulars in in newspapers. You know, and they would you know they would mail circulars out, and you know, the, it was the old kind of old school marketing. Uh, but over the last uh, ten years or so, or maybe more, maybe over the last five or six, uh, five or six years, they've got the really big retailers have gotten really good at digital marketing. You know, SEO and SEM, um, uh, email marketing, remarketing, um, b- being able to provide um, great customer service on their website by, hey, you know, if you're if you're a big um, retailer with a bunch of locations, before I get in my car, if I needed that day, I can actually look in their inventory and see if a particular store has something before I go all the way out there. So they've done a really nice job, I think, of kind of adjusting, you know, to the, call it the um, Amazonian, uh, that's not the right word, the Amazonian takeover, you know, of people's perception of the yeah. way, uh, you know, products are sold. And, and, and it's unfair because, you know, while, I, mean, I don't want to take away from Amazon's success. They've been tremendously successful in changing the way that, you know, people buy products. But, and this actually goes to one of my questions for you. I was going to ask this at the end, but let me ask you the, at the beginning. You know, every, you know, there have been pundits out there that have predicted the death of retail for a long period of time. And, you know, I, I think those comments generally are very short-sighted and they don't understand the, 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 the purpose that the retail channel provides. And everything is not about, hey, let me click on a website or on a mobile app and order something and showing, uh, getting it the following day. Talk to me a little bit about, about you know, yeah. your, fa- your perspective about retail going forward and why it probably will never go away. Let's, fa- let's face right. it. 
Yeah, no, it's it's not going to. Um, but let's kind of you know frame what's going on here, which is that um, bad retailers are going out of business. The market in the businesses, retail in general, and certainly tech in specifics, being in that business has always been tough, and it's getting tougher. And if you don't have a strategy that's flexible that and can move with the market, then you're going to suffer, and you're going to close stores, and you're going to go out of business. And the retailers who have had trouble over the years or have gone out or were struggling today tend to be ones that haven't figured out how to live in a new environment. It's not that stores are bad. It's that the retailers are bad. Right. Uh, a good store and a good uh, management of the retail chain, those are the places that are winning. And we have plenty of examples of that. And, you know, in tech, we have an example that basically everybody comes to to try to understand, and that's Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And Best Buy was six or seven years ago, I suppose now, was at Death's door. Yes, right? they, correct. They could not correct. figure out what to do. They were struggling with the product mix. They were struggling with pricing, with what at the time was what we, what we called showrooming. Um, they were struggling with how to create an environment in the store that added value. They were struggling with the cost structure and the, the, just the management of the website. And they stopped and said, we have to fix this. And mm-hmm. they fixed it. They did mm-hmm. some very innovative things around um, store within a store, bringing vendors in, kind of selling off pieces of the internal store while still keeping control of the merchandising. And then they figured out what the right way to compete with Amazon and others online were. And they've been able to make those things work. And they had the support of the vendor community, obviously, because at that point in time, and certainly still today, that um, in tech we need Best Buy. It's a big part of the business, and there's no way to replace that kind of volume if they they went out of business. But we're seeing other retailers kind of think about how do they – um, take advantage of the same kind of dynamics that are out. We've got lots of great tech retailers now that are great retailers. Costco, Walmart, Target. Um, those companies are really, really good at in getting better at having the right product in the store and the right product um, online. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example of how you have to think about this going forward. So we do some some different kind of tracking than the POS that we talked about um, earlier. We have some um, relationships with some other firms, and we do what's called email harvesting. So we're able to uh, work on an opt-in basis with a lot of consumers, and we get to see what's, what, what they're buying online. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've looked at that for a couple of years, and we're just kind of rolling this product out now. Um, but... The number one thing, or the number one and number two things that have struck us so far. Number one, in tech, um, using the store for the right products and using online for the right products is critically important. Over 
80% of the volume of products that sell for under $100, when that happens online, those go to online-only retailers, Amazon, Amazon Marketplace, Newegg, people who don't really have a retail environment. So those very, very high-level transaction-oriented sales happen um, almost you know, in, in a huge percentage with online-only retailers. Mm-hmm. When you get them that sell for over $100, the balance is, is very close in terms of share between retailers online like Best Buy or Walmart or Costco and the online retailers like Amazon. So the lesson is, what's the right thing to do with your online and how do you manage that against your store? Well, as products get more complicated, um, the value proposition in the store tends to be more and more about solutions and a one-on-one environment and really helping people understand what they're going to buy. And those tend to be more expensive products. And those more expensive products, people don't want a transaction. They want to be sold. They want Mm -hmm. to sell it. They want help to make sure they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And retailers have been able to take that business model that they're so good at and getting better at and Best Buy again has been the leader in this taking that model from the store and moving it online where those high dollar value high gross margin dollar value categories that they do well on in their stores and also do well on those online and that's been really the crux of um their success in the last couple of years. And we see that success because in the last few years, what we've seen is when you look at online market share between online-only retailers, retailers' websites, so brick-and-mortar retailers online, and direct-to-consumer brands and selling like Dell Direct or HP Direct, um, the one area that's gaining share is the retailers online. They are gaining share against online only. They are gaining share against direct-to-consumer because Mm -hmm. they figure that out. They have that selection, that curated selection in those premium products that gives people confidence to go into the store and buy those things in the store or to be able to also what's happening online. And that, and that really goes really to my next question or next, my next couple of questions because of the, the smart home is so close to my heart is, and I suspect that, you know, one of the, the, um, one of the caveats or the, or uh, that, um, that I think you, you want to talk about when you talk about the smart home is that people indeed do want to, they're, they're excited about the prospects of a smart home. They're, they're excited about the prospects of, you know, automating certain functions in the home, but it's a very confusing, overwhelming experience. I think that, uh, you know, I, I get, you know, calls all the time from family, friends, relatives, that kind of thing about, Hey, how can I do this? And, you know, the great answer, the, the, the good news is that there's hundreds of ways to do it. The, the the bad news is that there's hundreds of ways to do it. You know, there's just yes. so much complexity. And Best Buy, for example, not to not to keep using them as the poster child because there are other examples, but they're one of the better examples of really making an investment in store with smart home um, uh, dedicated uh, uh, sections of retail space 
uh, built around educating people around, hey, here's the, the, the better products that you can look at for doing certain functions. And that's not an inexpensive approach when they have to reconfigure the stores to, um, uh, to uh, you know, provide that level of education when they believe a, a particular technology area is hot. Right. And so here's what's happening there. And those are, that's a great point. Um, interestingly, at least right now, you know, smart home is actually a really good online category because mm-hmm. we're still like very much in that early adopter kind of phase of smart home with, you know, around 20 percent or so of people having some level of uh, smart home technology. As we start to get to the early majority and the majority phase, things are going to migrate away from online and they're going to migrate towards the stores because that next group of people weren't so tech savvy like like you or sort of like me. Because uh, <laughs> I'm confused by a lot of it too. Um, uh-huh. You know, those people are going to need a place to come in that has a solution environment that is able to help them a little bit more. Get off the transaction treadmill that you get with online. That's great for those early adopters or for people who exactly know what they want. But Mm -hmm. for most of the rest of us, the curated selection in a store or on the store's website combined with the solution selling opportunities inside the store and the money spent on merchandising and marketing in the stores is really the value point once you get past that 20% so kind of consumer and you get to the penetration from 20 to 60 or 70. Those customers, that next group of people who are going to come into the store or who who are going to buy smart home really need the help and they don't want to just buy things piecemeal. Right. Making those decisions. And I think that's going to position the retailers for success in the next few years as this category starts to really grow even faster than it is now. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a really good point because when you start talking about, you know, taking on, uh, when a consumer takes on that, that um, non-trivial proje- uh, project of, you know, retrofitting their house with smart home gear, you know, especially if you've got a big house with a bunch of windows and you want to you go down a home security path and you want to put sensors on your windows, the last thing you want to do is buy a lot of stuff that, A, doesn't work well together with each other. That's a big pain point that consumers constantly are facing in the whole smart home uh, jungle out there, so to speak. And the other thing, you know, in, in the smart home that's so interesting is that there is a lot of um, there's a lot of choices with different types of products, but a lot of them come from companies that you don't know if they're going to be around a year from now. And the last thing you want to do is, oh, I just put sensors on all you know on twenty windows inside my house. The company's gone out of business, and as a result, now I have to uh, replace everything. And you know when you're when you're working at re- when you're working and you have a presence at retail like at a Best Buy, for example, there's kind of a good housekeeping seal of approval that you know that is implicit there that provides consumers with some level of confidence, not to mention which is that, that, you know, when you go to a retailer, a good retailer like a Best Buy, a lot of those products really work well together because Best Buy has done a pretty good job of selecting yep. the, the better solutions that are on the market. So I'll give you a number around that. So like three or four years ago, um, about 60% of the what we consider smart home 
volume, uh, cameras, lighting, doorbells, etc. About 60% of the sales revenue came outside of the top five brands. So the top five brands were about 40% of sales. Today, they're about 60 or 65% of sales. So we're seeing those top brands not just gain share, but move into those other categories mm -hmm. so that you can buy with confidence from, you know, RLO or Echo B or, sure. or Nest, right? right. Uh, the whole stack, you can get a thermostat, you can get lighting, you can get a camera, you know, or you hope that they'll work better together because they're all from the same company. Mm -hmm. And um, that's great for somebody like Best Buy or from for retail as well, because they can create bundles and opportunities that entice people to come into the market maybe a little bit sooner than they would. So mm -hmm. we're definitely seeing exactly what you about there. Uh, so when you look at the smart home home automation category, are there any subcategories that you think are kind of interesting? You know, and maybe uh, poised for stronger growth uh, later. You know, they may be a bit nascent now, but they're going to pick up not and i'm not talking about the amazon echoes and the you know the, the more popular no. products but you know the products that are kind of like on in the on deck circle so to speak yeah so right now the hottest category last year this year probably 2020 as well is um smart entry whether mm -hmm. it's door, video door doorbell door right. lock that kind of thing is really really hot right now it's an area that hasn't been well penetrated um, we've got a lot of companies kind of chasing that. There's a lot of ways to go about those solutions. Um, eventually, I think we'll figure out how to get past. You know, one of the challenges with smart entry is most of those things go on your front door. And mm -hmm. most of us only have one front door. Mm -hmm. So once you've bought something, you know, the theory is you, you may not need another one. And <laughs> trade out your doorbell every couple of years, right? Right, right. Uh, but they're all thinking about how do we take that smart entry in those door locks and expand those into multiple places in the home and leverage that kind of thing. So right. as we continue to see the growth in doorbells and entry, which, again, we think are the, the fastest growing categories in the next couple of years, it's not just going to be about front door it has to be about you know an overall kind of secure and another kind of way to think about security in the home so right. it's that's the for me that's the absolute um most exciting one the survey work we do says you know a lot of the kind of niche stuff around water uh tracking and even garage doors and mm -hmm. outdoor lighting and some of those kind of things just really haven't started to resonate with people some of them are more like insurance and you know people aren't always really jazzed about spending money on right. insurance kind of things mm -hmm. um i think the other part of that is you know you see some of those categories which are clearly doing very well as well that happened more in a um, installer kind of an environment, uh, integrator versus a do-it-yourself or do-it-for-me environment, which is mostly what we're talking about here. Right. 
Now, in the, in the couple of minutes we have left here, um, let me ask, you know, there was, there was some news um, earlier in the week, or perhaps it was late last week, that Amazon announced they were closing down their um, pop-up stores, which many people yeah. have seen. And uh, although for every indication is that they're, they're brick-and-mortar stores, which they've been, you know, they've been, they've been um, rolling out over the past few years, that they're not, they're not pulling back on that. But, uh, once, you know, did that strike you in a, in a surprise type of way, uh, Stephen? Uh, uh, some of it did. Um, you know, I've been in the – I've walked by them in the mall many times, and they don't really seem to have a lot of um, – you know, it's not really a high-cost kind of an environment to put things in there and, and do those kind of things. Um, I think they felt – I'm sure what they felt like was they weren't getting – um, they didn't need that as a um, PR or as a visibility um, product anymore for the smart home and the rest of their product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think they felt like they didn't need those. Um, I suspect the, the what they called pop-ups inside other retailers like Kohl's or inside Whole Foods probably just didn't generate much interest or value to them. So maybe what I what it feels to me like they're going to do is kind of stop and rethink what they're going to do. And from the reports, it sounds like they're going to take at least some of that money and reinvest it in things like the bookstores. And if you've been in an Amazon bookstore, 25 or 30 percent of it is Amazon electronics. Right. And, exactly. Right. Uh, not just the Amazon owned, but other electronics. Um so that's been a big draw for that kind of an environment, and I think we can. I think we're likely to see that kind of thing expand a little bit more uh, going forward because that's a pretty good model, uh, I think, for them to work through. And I think it keeps things focused on Amazon, and I think they kind of prefer uh, things that way. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, the other uh, the other uh, opportunity they have because those those call them anchor stores, for lack of a better phrase, those brick and mortar, you know, highly visible bookstores, is that many consumers don't know this, but those stores can be used to drop off Amazon packages, you know, and even pick up Amazon um, uh, pa- uh, the products that you order. So they serve a purpose outside of just going to the store to to buy something. They actually are almost like um, miniature distribution uh, hubs for returns and for uh, pickups of packages when you don't want it delivered to your house, for example. Right. You know, Coles has been pretty public about saying, you know, they've really felt like they've gotten a lot of benefit, even though Amazon's going to stop the pop-ups and kind of move the product into the the main merchandising, but they feel like they've, they've gotten additional traffic and that they've uh, returns and other kinds of things have been a real value uh, opportunity for their customers. Right. So, you know, obviously Amazon continues to look, and this goes all the way back to what we are talking about at the beginning, right? Amazon continues to look for more points of entry in physical retail to get in front of people they are in front of people all the time mm-hmm. because they see the same things I talked about where, you know, maybe we're starting to get to a little bit of a plateau in a lot of categories in terms of what kind of share online is going to have right. and or, or their kind of an online, put it that way, and mm-hmm. that they see the value and they see the things that are 
Costco or a Sam's Club or a Walmart is doing, and they feel like they they have to be a little bit more competitive in the physical world because, truthfully, there is a huge amount of sales on an overall basis that is happening in stores and is likely to never move out of stores, as you kind of mentioned mm-hmm. right at the very beginning. And to the extent that Amazon wants to capture a lot more sales, um, the platform that they're on now is probably not sufficient to capture the amount of sales that they would like. Right. Well, this has been terrific, Stephen. Um, I could talk to you for multiple hours, which I have uh, done before when we've gotten yes. together. Uh, but So thank you for your time and your insight. It's really been truly great. Um, any final comments on, I'm going to ask you to put your crystal ball on, do you think uh, tech at, at retail will have a pretty good year this year? I know yeah, you know, our, our forecast is for about 2% revenue growth, which, you know, given price changes and the fact that most categories are pretty mature, um, is pretty reasonable and, and better than it's been than it had been a couple of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We continue to be pretty optimistic. Um, there's a lot of great products coming down the pike, whether it's smart home or foldables, and the, we you know we didn't talk a lot about product, but the you know the huge trend towards big screen TVs and mm-hmm. there's a lot of great things happening um, in tech that people really want. So. Right. I'm pretty pretty excited uh, for for tech in the next couple of years for sure. Sure. Well, how can listeners reach out to you, uh, Stephen? Uh, well, you know, uh, NPD.com is our website, um, and I'm on Twitter at uh, NPD Steve Baker, and either one of those things, and um, you know, email and all the other fun things. So, um, right. we're always listening and happy, and we're happy to have a chance to get on. Uh, Get on the podcast with you, Mark. Well, thank you, Stephen. And uh, maybe next week we'll talk about uh, why the Giants traded uh, Odell Beckham. I'm still, I'm still struggling over that, and I, and, and that's probably would be a six-hour call, let alone. It, a, it could be because then I'd start talking about the Patriots, so you wouldn't. You wouldn't <laughs> you're the Red Sox. So no, let's do. I'll do I got to do it before the baseball season begins. That's but, right. Okay. Well, listen. Well, everybody, listen, thank you for listening on today's uh, podcast. Please follow more insights and strategy on our usual suspect uh, social media channels, LinkedIn and Twitter. It's a great way to keep tabs on us. And and please subscribe to these weekly uh, podcasts, which are free on Apple iTunes. And until next week, everyone have a great and enjoyable week.